Welcome to episode 157 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. I want to tell you a little story. Um, two, two years ago, I went to see The Harrowing of Brimstone McCready with Eldritch Theatre. And this was performed by Eric Wolf um, and some puppets. Um, and I wasn't sure what to expect. A friend of mine had just told me that it was something that I had to see. And she was right. And it was magic. And not just because Eric Wolf actually performed magic during the show, but it was theater magic. I was enraptured by everything that was happening. And so I became a fan right there and then, and I have not missed an Eldritch theater show since. Eldritch is currently running Space Opera Zero at the Red Sandcastle, and I rarely get a chance to tell you about a show because usually the episode airs before I've had a chance to see it. And this time I am pleased to tell you that, that I saw Space Opera Zero on opening night and it was incredible. Um, I cannot recommend this show more. It is genre, it's science fiction, which is super hard to do. Um, but because of the genius of Eric Wolf, it it works. Um and you know what? It's it's interesting because I was talking after the show how um, with simple theater magic, without an expensive uh, uh, projector and flies and and crazy stuff that you can find in some of the big Broadway shows, you can make really effective sci-fi through really simple tools. And Eric is able to make and transport you to space and he's this time it's not a solo show this time he has uh uh, two great actors with him lisa norton and mary bab and you are going to hear from them on the next couple of episodes of of stage worthy starting today um and i just wanted to say that that if you get a chance to see this show you absolutely need to see it because it will Sort of, in a way, it will change your perception of what's possible in the theater. And it is, it, it's a lot of fun. I haven't smiled that much at a show in a long time. And, and I enjoyed it so much that I was talking to the, to, to the Eldritch Theater folks. And um, I wanted to make it a little easier for you to go and see an Eldritch Theater show, this Eldritch Theater show in particular. And so if you go to eldritchtheater.ca slash tickets and you buy your tickets to Space Opera Zero, and you use the discount code STAGEWORTHY, you'll get your tickets for $20. And and I cannot recommend more that you do this. Um, go and see the show. It's on now until December 2nd, and you must do yourself this favor. And when you do, I want to hear what you think. Tell me about it, because you can find me, remember, uh, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at StageworthyPod. You can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Phil Rickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. And my guest today is, as I said, Lisa Norton, who stars in Space Opera Zero, which is on now until December 2nd at the Red Sandcastle in Toronto. Lisa Norton, so tell me. Phil Rickaby. Yeah, just jump in. 
So you're doing uh, Space Opera Zero with Eldritch Theater. Sure am. Um, now, space, I've seen a few things that Eldritch has done before, and they often involve puppets and magic and horror. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about Space Opera Zero and how it relates to these things. It relates to magic and puppets. It's not a classic sort of Halloween horror show mm-hmm. that Eldritch would do. Would do. I, I have a confession to make. I've never seen an Eldritch show. You are missing out. I know. I and I've I've meant to and I've wanted to for mm-hmm. years. And uh, I guess I first became aware of them because my friend Kim Won Parahinik, uh, we went to school together, mm-hmm. and she has done a lot of shows with Eric with Eldritch. Yeah. Um, and I I I work out of town a lot mm-hmm. and kept missing things or. You know, we kind of realized I just missed one and it was sold out. Yeah. I have this vague memory of actually showing up mm-hmm. once and then realizing, like, there was no show that night or uh, I'd come on the wrong night mm-hmm. for my ticket and uh, couldn't, like, some weird, or maybe that's just an excuse I've made up in my brain. But I've never seen one. Mm. But I've heard about, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the horror stuff and yeah. I know about um, Eric's, you know, Flea Circus show and all mm. that stuff. And, this show, uh, it's based on Thomas Middleton's The Changeling. Okay. So it's got this sort of classical theater piece at the root of it. Mm. But then he's taken it into this pulp fiction, space science fiction inspired uh, realm that will have magic tricks mm. and puppets and all the kind of eldritch craziness and, yeah. and different media that Eric uses. We did a workshop a little while ago. Okay. Uh, so I have some idea of some of the stuff we're going to do, mm-hmm. um, but not not the full picture. Have yet. you ever worked puppets before? No. <clears throat> okay. No, I mean, have I? I think the most I've ever done was like when I was doing a theater for young audiences yes. show, and we did like a little moment where we were fish. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, <laughs> no, that's that's about it. So mm-hmm. one thing in the workshop, and it's very cool working with Eric, even for that like five day period, we'd be you know sitting around and doing sort of your typical dramaturgy around the table and arguing <clears throat> about the play and working out problems, and then Eric, you know, somebody would say, "Well, how is?" someone's head going to spin around 50 times. So Eric would jump up and he'd teach us, or he, you know, he wouldn't teach us the secret, no. but he'd show us the trick yes. of how someone's head spins around. Or we'd be going along and then something would come up about the puppets, mm-hmm. or he'd have something he wanted to show us because one of our props people was building the puppets in yeah. the room while we were talking about the play. And Eric said, okay, all right, everyone... Jump up, and we're going to do a, a little puppet 101. Mm. Like, everyone bring a stuffed animal tomorrow. Bring your favorite stuffed animal. And we're going to do a little puppetry workshop. Like nice. the one he does for little kids. Mm-hmm. Except it's these clueless adults who are just like, well, I don't know. It's funny because it's <laughs> got to be one of those things where, like, kids are like, yes, of course. I can, you know, it's just the thing. And they they fall, they go right into it. Yeah, and yeah. adults have this imagination barrier that we've built up over time. Yeah. Actors maybe... Actors aren't supposed to, but, but we, do. we do. We do. We totally do, especially yeah. things that aren't in our wheelhouse. Oh, yeah, when it's new, there's totally a, a, a like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you. I was brilliant at it right away. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I'll ask. I'll ask Eric. <laughs> don't ask Eric. <laughs> no, no. You know, Eric's really patient. He's got, mm-hmm. like, the soul of a teacher. Yeah. So... You know, someone that doesn't make you feel like an idiot if you don't get it right away, and, mm-hmm. and is and he's so 
super excited mm. to show off his toys. Yeah. You know, to like the stuff he's got and the stuff we're going to make and the stuff he's written. And he's laughing at his own yeah. jokes in the script, but in a, but in a charming yeah. way, you know. And I think that like to do a lot of the stuff that he does, you would have to have a lot of patience because of mm. the audience work that he does like before some shows or or after shows where like like you can tell me about that he had this whole extra thing he did this this show and then downstairs a small group of people who paid a little extra go downstairs and get like this parlor magic thing for another like extra like 20 minutes or whatever where he does card tricks and card tricks and stuff but interactions with the audience and things like that and it's it's really you know and he does like like fake seances he's doing some of that at Copenhagen Lodge right now like Sold out. I oh, couldn't yeah. get a ticket. I couldn't get a ticket either. <laughs> but, you know, it's like this amazing stuff that he does. You have to be, have, I think, a soul of a teacher and a lot of patience to interact with audiences quite so intimately yeah. that way. It's funny because yeah. Eric has, I think he has this idea of himself as this horrible curmudgeon. Oh, he does. Which, and he, he has I've spoken a, to him. I've spoken to him. I've heard your like, interview He's like, um, you know, he's like, I'm just a terrible curmudgeon. You're like, you're just wonderful. Why? He's, you know? he's like a softy with this curmudgeonly shell around him, right? <laughs> so there is really that teacherly, mm-hmm. patient soul. Yeah. And then, and then this edgy sense of humor. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like that combo. So he and I hit it off right away. Nice. Have you ever done magic before? Or like, have you been around Not, magic? Not a bit. How did it, like when you were, when this was proposed to you as a concept, did you, were you like, yes, I can do that? Or was there a, uh, I don't know about any of this? Um, I think there was some, I don't know if I can do this, but in the good way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can do this now. (laughs) I assume that by the time we get there, I will be able to do it. Um, no, I was nothing but excited right Mm -hmm. away. I, I wasn't hesitant at all. And, uh, like Eric is just someone I've known peripherally for a while, mm-hmm. and and we've found each other, you know, funny on social media yeah. and stuff. And uh, Dylan, who's directing, is a, a good old pal of mine. And when they, you know, I just got some. Oh, Eric had asked me to workshop something a while ago, and I couldn't do it then, mm-hmm. so I was already really excited to work with yeah. him at some point. So basically, <laughs> just thought, you know, the second Eric calls me for anything, I'd like to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when they said, "Well, it's a lesbian space opera, and you'll be playing a 1930s space pilot who falls in love with an alien, and there will be, you know, <laughs> How can you not say and yes to this? robots and what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you get in the workshop and you go, "Oh, I'm supposed to sing." Like, yeah. you know, there's all this other crazy, sure. wacky stuff. It's like, oh, I could do anything, but you made me sing a song. Yeah. But then there's this part of me that kind of secretly of wants course, everyone to know that I can there. sing. Too. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if you haven't done it in a while, there's a certain... I don't know what it is about singing where there's a vulnerability. Like, I can recite anything, but yeah. ask me to sing in front of people. There's a moment where I just might cry first. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like thing about that. the thing you can get up at a karaoke bar, be like, ah, we're drinking karaoke fun. And then you screw up your karaoke mm-hmm. song in front of some strangers and some drunk people who cares that you're so yeah. humiliated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I have turned like red faced and wanted to cry <laughs> because I screwed up a karaoke song. And they don't even remember. They're barely paying attention. But I mean, I think the thing about singing too, like not only is it vulnerable mm-hmm. and at least for people like, I assume you and yeah. me who aren't practiced singers, mm-hmm. so, you know, haven't overcome that thing. Like I have sung in some shows, but 
It's not my usual comfortable place. But there's something about singing that's like math, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a right answer. Yeah. You, You can't just like... Oh well, I mean, I guess if you're if you're scatting and you're improvising sure, some yeah. jazz stuff, like you sing the wrong note and you make it into the right note. Sure, but, you know, usually when you hit sing the wrong note, it's, it's the wrong obvious. note. Yeah. It's not just oh, interesting <clears throat> choice that note. Yeah, like no. it might be if you were trying something you're weird jazz. acting. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a totally objective answer to like mm. what that note is supposed to be. Now, are you going to be doing any of the magic? Or is that magic? Ha- Do you know if magic is happening around you? Are you doing it? Are um, you, like, what is going to be your interaction with the magic? I don't <clears throat> think I do any magic. Mm-hmm. And it's not... I mean, the magic in this show is all integrated into the story. Mm-hmm. Like, where there's a, a, a trick that is is part of the... You know, where there's yeah. no, like, now we're going to do a No, and that's one of the great things yeah. about, yeah. about what he does. Yeah. Um, where... It doesn't really like the story doesn't stop for the magic. The magic is part of part of the show, <clears throat> and it's kind of great because when I saw Grimstone and Crady, I was sitting was, like there were two seats that were like on either side of his playing space, and so you were like right up there for all of the magic. Oh, cool! So you kind of felt like you were in. If on you got one of those two, if seats. you got one of those two, and he would like pull like random people out of the audience, like you basically be like upgraded. Nobody bought those seats. Oh. And I, me and my friend, we were sassing too much. And he was like, well, you guys are going to sit in these chairs. And you made it like it was punishment. You're going to sit there and you're going to sit there. And uh, it ended up being just awesome. But like to be like as though you're complicit in it because yeah, you're so close. Yeah. And you're thinking like, oh, I'm in on something. But no, you're not because you still can't see what's happening either. Did it? So it didn't wreck any of the tricks for no, you? No. Where you're at, at the wrong angle and no. you see the thing that well, you're not supposed to see. He knows what he's doing. He sits us at the right place and he performs it in such a way that like, there's no way that we can see the trick. Yeah. He's obviously practiced it for those two he chairs exactly to make sure that the, yeah. And uh, like you, nothing gets ruined and you're so drawn in just as like the audience is. But That's you're just so closer. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't do any, I don't, I don't think I do. Mm-hmm. I could be completely lying to you because I might just not be remembering. I mean, it's a year ago. So it's a year ago workshop. and there's still, there's still rehearsals to happen. Exactly. So change. Yeah. <clears throat> but you're all manipulating puppets. And yeah. Things. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, each of us plays multiple characters and also different sized versions of our main mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing Emily Trueheart as, um, one of the leading ladies in the show, the the mm-hmm. sort of Amelia Earhart inspired yeah. pilot. Um, and so I'll be playing her, you know, normal size me in a costume. And then there will be, I think like a medium sort of tabletop puppet that I'll manipulate. And then there's like a tiny little one because there are times when we sort of <coughs> appear in a little window or, you know, need to just be very small to make the size of the stage look like yeah. outer space or whatever. So, Have you seen Puppet You yet? Oh, uh, they were carving out Puppet Me's head while we were in the mm-hmm. workshop. So there's... I was seeing it, seeing it take is that Is that kind of sur- like you're going to be wearing like a costume that's like the same as the puppet and you're going to be like manipulating yourself in the yeah. same costume. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, it'll be like having my own action figure. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) So, um, one of the things I like to do is talk to people about their theater origin stories. Like, like why you chose this life? And like, what is the whole things? Um, What was your first introduction to theater? Jeez. 
Or do you remember when you first decided this was a thing that you wanted to do? Well, starting to fool around with it and want to do it and then making the decision mm-hmm. to go for it professionally were two completely different things, as I'm sure is the same sure. with most people's story. Yeah. I think, like, the first thing um, that I can think of when I was in, like, grade two or three, we had one of those uh, creative writing programs where... Um, programs. <laughs> I was in the creative <laughs> yes, writing program course, yes. in grade two, yes, the yes. accomplished child. <laughs> uh, no, we had, we had this teacher. I, I think it might have been, like, some little box that she bought mm-hmm. where... Um, you know, everyone would read a book of their choice and then you would pull a little card out of the box and the card might say, write a diary entry from your favorite character's mm. point of view or paint a picture mm. about the book that you're reading, yeah. you know. And I pulled one and it said, create a play, a short play, you know, use one of your classmates and, and create a scene from the thing you read. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I guess I'd been reading Snow White. Mm. And uh, anyway, my my best friend Kimberly Moonlight and I got up and we did a scene from Snow White. And mm. I and I played Snow White. We did the scene where she was the witch and lured me mm. in and got me to eat the apple. And I had this enormously long, complicated death scene where I kept going down <laughs> and one more gasp to life. Yes. And, you know, so that was probably like the first bite of the bug because mm. from then on, she and I decided all we were going to do with our spare time was make plays mm-hmm. and recruit friends. And, like, they were all just Disney ripoffs, sure. right? Like, we remounted Snow White, and I got to play <coughs> play Dopey because I realized, oh, it's way more fun to yeah. to do a comic turn. Mm-hmm. And we we did, uh, you know, a, a Cinderella where, like, our great coup was getting an actual boy to be in the play with mm-hmm. us to kiss mm-hmm. the girl who was playing. Oh, the, yes. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah. His friends teased him a bit, but he was pretty happy all about right, it. All right, that's good. So, you know, all through grade school, I mean, that our teachers would let us present those to the class mm-hmm. just for fun. And and I became sort of this, like, bossy, horrible auteur. <laughs> <laughs> and then that led to, you know, me wanting my parents to take me to see real shows. Mm-hmm. And we would usually go see one of the big musicals. You remember what the first real show you saw was? First real show. Quote, unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, might have been Cats. Mm-hmm. Okay. We did most of those, like, uh, Drabinsky and yeah. Mervish that, things. Was and, that the Elgin Winter Garden? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know what's funny about it? I can remember what I wore. Yeah? Can you? Did you get <laughs> like all dressed up? Ten years yeah. old, yeah. <laughs> we would do this as, like, a family Christmas mm. present. Yeah. Or, because my birthday is in September and they knew that I really liked plays like mm. my birthday present would be to get us all tickets to something and then right. maybe we would go mm-hmm. around christmas and then it would be like a, a christmas present as well and i yeah, remember well, like yeah. going to see cats <clears throat> and wearing like my red coat and my black dress and my red <laughs> belt and my red tights mm-hmm. and my black you know? nice. and uh and being kind of blown away and like my parents buying me the big expensive stupid souvenir program yep. and i was just amazed reading everyone's little bios mm-hmm. and memorized them practically. There are, there are actors I've met years later and been like, this person seems familiar. Oh my God. Yeah. This was rum tum tugging. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an amazing, like when, 
Did you tell them that you saw them in Cats? Did you ever like be like, I saw you in Cats I when I was 10 years old? don't know if I did. I mean, that... I, Which is one of the I have with things, some but, things because sometimes yeah. when you're a kid and you see someone and then it can either yeah. freak them out and make them feel old yeah. or they can feel really honored. Yeah. Yeah. When I was uh, 13, mm-hmm. I know I was 13 because we had this like unlucky, horrible number 13 <laughs> went to see Macbeth. Okay. <laughs> like all the bad luck yeah. omens. And, you know, it was my... 13th birthday trip and I said they said what do you want to see and my parents kind of gave me the programs for things and like we'd been to Shaw the previous year to see mm-hmm. Peter Pan and I was getting a little older and a little more interested in seeing like uh-huh. Shakespeare and you know ooh Macbeth I know that one and uh <laughs> oh my parents are going to kill me if they hear this but uh like this was the trip that like broke up my parents marriage oh, so we had this yeah. stressful trip to okay. Stratford where like you know, we were running late and my dad was driving like a maniac oh, and no. everyone was stressed out. And then <laughs> they were going to see this stupid show that no one wanted to see just because I wanted to see. Oh, my God. And then we were <laughs> late and we stood in the lobby and my family's all bickering and I'm staring at the monitor, at the monitor not wanting yeah. to miss anything. And then we went in and I was so amazed mm-hmm. and like my family was all kind of annoyed and pissed off and didn't want it either. They do love theater mm-hmm. now, but it was just it was just a bad sure, weekend. Yeah. Um, but I remember at that moment I was like, and I still haven't, but Mm. I thought, oh, that role, Mm. I, I want to play that role. Lady M. Lady M. And it was partly because Goldie Semple, Mm -hmm. the late, great Mm -hmm. Goldie Semple was playing it, who blew my effing little mind. Mm. And I just wanted to do what she was doing. And, um, and I think like I wrote down her name. I was writing down Goldie Simple, like yeah. this amazing name. I'll never forget. And then I forgot. And, <laughs> I, you know, then did high school plays and all yeah. the stuff and then ended up going to theater school and uh, ended up at the Shaw Festival. And in my first season, ended up being moved into a show where I was working with Goldie Simple. Mm-hmm. Still didn't remember. Mm-hmm. I thought she was amazing, and I'd seen her and stuff mm-hmm. since, and was now working with her. I thought she was fantastic. Um, and then, oh, we were doing The Matchmaker by Thornton Wilder, mm-hmm. Wilder, and in rehearsal one day, she said to, Christopher Newton was directing, and she said, Chris, I just, I'm going to try something. Um, I don't have a good Irish accent, but I just want to try it as bad as it may be, yeah. and if it works for you, then then I can work on it. Because Dolly in, in uh, The Matchmaker and Hello, Dolly, it refers to her being Dolly Gallagher mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, a vivacious Irish lady. Yes. So she started doing this terrible Irish accent. Like, good for her, man. The bravery to be in the rehearsal yeah. hall going, I'm going to do this horrible thing that sounds ridiculous and, and just yeah. to see. And we were all teasing her about it like crazy. And we start the show and, and she was wearing this green dress and, you know, big green bustle and all these green accessories. And she had this big red wig and a little green hat. I got a box of Lucky Charms and I, I cut out the Lucky Charms guy. I was such an asshole. I was like in my early 20s, right? I would never... What the fuck was I thinking? I cut out the Lucky Charms guy and I taped it to her dressing room door. And I thought it was so funny. And she had a good sense of humor yeah. about it, but thank God. Yeah. 
And, you know, so all this like, ha, 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 Goldie, she's, she's a great gal. What a, you know, mm-hmm. we're all part of the gang. And then uh, one day, a friend of mine, Holly Lewis, who's also an actor, she came to see the show. And, um, you know, people who know people in the cast would often come backstage afterwards, you know, by the dressing rooms to congratulate people. And I'm in my dressing room with the door open. And... Goldie's dressing room next door with mm-hmm. the Lucky Charms guy. You know, it's one over. And I hear Holly's voice saying, Oh, Miss Semple, I just, I want to thank you so much for your performance. And, I, and I've always been such a big, big fan. You're so wonderful. And, and when I was 12, I saw you play Lady M in Stratford. And I <laughs> am standing in my dressing room. And I realized, oh my God, oh my God, this is the woman who made me want to become yeah, yeah, yeah. an actor. And I'm like suddenly newly starstruck by this sure. person I've been working yeah. with for months. Mm. And, you know, when it hits me, what an ass <laughs> I am and how dare I. Uh, you know, I think it t- took me until later to realize like what a shitty move that mm-hmm. really was. But in that moment, I at least realized like, oh my God, who look at mm-hmm. who I'm you know, being, yeah. and, and I have that with friends now, like people who are immensely talented, who you just, of course you just start to think of them as Kelly or sure. Jim or whoever, you know, because they're just your friends. And then you go and see them in a show again. And you're like, oh. Yeah. You're yeah. like in awe oh, yeah. of your buddy and mm-hmm. you go, you're suddenly kind of shy talking to yeah. them after the show. Go, I had that this summer. I saw um, Jillian English perform her, um, <clears throat> her show She-Wolf. Where she oh, embodies um, uh, the 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 queen in in the Henrys. Oh, cool! Um, and I I had not seen her perform before, and I was like, after the show, I was like, uh, "Yeah, you were really good." And then it was like I ran away because it was like something <laughs> like, "Yeah, we've been hanging out, but you're really good." So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just found out yeah, that yeah, my buddy that, is Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's basically, that's what it is. Yeah, right? yeah. Pretty cool. Did you? How did, did you recover from your new shyness around Goldie? I did. I mean, yeah. the first thing I did was go right out into the hallway and say, oh, my God, oh, my God, mea culpa, mea culpa. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And I told her, yeah. you know, and it probably just sounded like I was just repeating what Holly yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't ever that I didn't think she was incredible. Mm. But... Um, I did have like this newfound awe and respect sure. when I realized like I'm, I'm working with the woman who inspired me to do this job. It's funny how those theater families will form and suddenly somebody is like the jokey older brother or sister or something <laughs> and is like sassing everybody. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you can sort of get away with is if you don't like, yes, it's asshole-ish sometimes, you know? <laughs> but like it's the way families are. We form little families. True. Um, and then, but if you like, if you found out that like the person you were assassinating was like your grandma or something like that, you'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> <clears throat> and then to find out that they're like the person that made you want to go yeah. to the theater. It's like a, a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. You glossed over the, the going to theater school. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't part of that story. No, no, no I know. But I, I, I want to come back to that because <laughs> sure. that's, that sort of alludes to the decision to do this, mm-hmm. um, which is always one of the, the fascinating things for me is because a lot of people do theater in their spare time. They do a community theater and, 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 and things like that. Uh, very few people make the decision to go and do it 
full time. Yeah. So when did you decide that it was a thing that you wanted to do? Like for your Yeah. Life? Well, the big decision had to be made when you're picking schools, mm-hmm. right? Or even then you can things can always change later, but um I went to a high school where we had this incredible drama teacher, a couple of incredible drama teachers who were really supportive and allowed us to take it as seriously as we wanted to, which in some mm-hmm. cases was pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. So uh, my teacher, Alan Hunt, he, he started this. We, I went to a school called Pearson in Scarborough, mm-hmm. and we had Pearson Playhouse. And one of the things we did was this this festival of plays that were written by students, directed by students, and acted by students. Mm. And I think that might have, some of that overlapped with the Sears Drama Festival. Yeah. But it gave me the chance to direct a lot. And in the shows that he was directing, I got a, we got a chance to do a lot of really interesting things. And, you know, we did Leaving Home and I played Mary, which was, you know, just getting a chance to sink your teeth into some really good roles mm-hmm. in school and, and do some cool stuff with other people who were into it, you know. So it didn't feel frivolous or silly but it did feel impractical you know mm-hmm. and and i i guess i knew it was something that i wanted to be part of my university yeah. or college life but there was that okay do i get a degree so i have a fallback do i mm-hmm. do i you know and yeah. i guess it would have been education um and i was looking at schools and, you know, I applied to NTS and George Brown and York Mm -hmm. and Ryerson. So like I threw my hat in all those rings Mm -hmm. and I did get into York and thought, well, this would be the smart thing to do. On the other hand, I got into George Brown Mm -hmm. and thought, well, if I have a backup, I'll fall on my backup. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if I want to act, if I really want to go for it, I think I should go for this program mm-hmm. that will be more immersive. I mean, each program obviously offers its yeah. own strengths. And I mean, the thing I, <coughs> I, I heard Sandy Becker, our mm-hmm. stage manager's yeah. podcast with you. And when she was talking about York and her experience, what I love about the people who come out of there is that they have to do everything. Yeah. At first, so, you know, I would love to have some more of those skills because sure. I was just in my little acting bubble. and didn't I, When I was else. in theater school and I heard, oh, but you have to do, like, a general the first year, I was like, why would I want to do that? I know what I want to do. And now hmm. I'm like, but how much more rounded would you be if, yeah. you, if you did that? Well, I mean, even in high school, I was talking to a friend recently about uh, high school sports. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do anything because I was always doing a play. Yeah. And... You know, the teacher would say, hey, you might be good at basketball. Why don't you try out for the team or come out for the yeah. swim team? And I'd go, oh, we're starting rehearsals. Yeah. Well, I have the rest of my life to do plays, and I kind of wish I'd done other stuff. Yeah. But, but at the time, you're like, this is what I want to do, right? True. And you want to do it every second that you yeah, can, you know? of course. And then, um, I mean, but I always think that George Brown should do now. I mean, we used to joke because... did You went to George Brown? I did. Okay. I did. You know how, like, George Brown offers everything... You can imagine. Mm-hmm. And we used to call it the George Brown School of Theater and Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because and you can't take everything at you, George Brown College. Yeah. yeah. Not if you're actually in the theater program. No, if you're in the but theater like, program, you can only take You theater, could just but... go to George Brown for the rest of your life. Sure. And study everything in the world. You could come out and be a great cook yeah. and a 
uh, a graphic artist, and a jewelry and maker, and a, yeah. a social worker, like exactly. Everything. Yeah. So like, I used we used to joke about it then, mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, George Brown School of Acting and Pipe Fitting, mm-hmm. ha ha ha." And now I'm like, "Holy shit, that would be brilliant!" Like instead of <laughs> instead of having an academic stream or like you have to take electives in these other courses that are related to acting or academics, yeah. it should be like, "Hey guys, you're going to be actors." Wouldn't it be useful to also be a part-time electrician? Like yeah. all the stuff or, that yeah, theater yeah. people end up doing, like working sure. as contractors and stuff. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I know a little plumbing because I took that other course yeah, at George Brown. I mean, of course, when I was in when I went to theater school, it was like he told me that I was not going to be like successful out of the gate yeah, when yeah. I was starting out. They were like, okay, so you're going to have to choose a course from the rest of, of the George Brown College and take that, so you have an extra skill. It'd be like. Fuck you. I don't, but if you, yeah, that's, that's true in a way. But I think like our idea, if you look at it in a way that like success doesn't mean you will act 100% of the time and not do anything else. Like there are people I know who I consider very successful who still do other stuff between gigs, you know? So you go, Hey guys, this is just so like when you're between gigs, you won't be broke. It doesn't mean you're quitting acting. No. And I think it is certainly one of those things that, that, when you're in theater school, you really do need stressed. Like, you know, there is, mm. you need a, a some kind of, not a fallback, but an additional. Yeah. Although, like statement. you say, would you listen? Right? Well, when you're like 19, no. But yeah. if you were to go back to, who was your head of acting? Peter Wilde. Peter Wilde. Okay. So he was my head of acting as well. Yeah. So, uh, which, and uh, I yeah, I could go on about, about how intimidated I was <laughs> by him as a, as, a, as a student. But he would always say things like, I wish you were older. Come back to me when you're 30, he would say. And I'd be like, what the fuck is To you that? in particular? Oh, like all of us. Oh. Like we were all like 19. Yeah. I wish like, you weren't idiots. You were. You know, <laughs> all those, all those Peter Wildisms, you know. <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, like in that lamenting way that he has, I wish you were older. All of you. Come back when you're mm. 30. All these things that he would say. Sure. Um, but I know what he was saying. Now you do. Now I do. But at the time I was like, fuck you old man, you know. Yeah. You know, but it I'm was I'm old like, enough. I oh, I know this. pain. I yeah. I know the depths of all these characters. I went through puberty. I get, you know, all the <laughs> things that we tell ourselves. And, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I often think like how useful it would be if, you know, an actor spent, mm, actor, writer, whatever, creative person who's like making stuff about the world spends mm, six months to a year not doing theater, but like working a real job. Mm. So that we're not always like writing about theater and like creating yeah. art about theater and things like that. Yeah, totally. Because there people who aren't in theater about yeah. that world. They just like they want to see what's on the stage, but they don't want the whole True. Thing. Which building were you at at stage from? Were you at River Street? The old old one, the yeah. River Street. Five thirty <sighs> Yeah. King. Whatever. It's a it's a condo now. Yeah, it's a condo now. It's and what's condo. weird is when I stand across the street or go by on the streetcar, I can't quite place no, exactly where it was because it's all just this like big mass of glass and yeah. metal now and you go the building Geez. is gone and I'm like but that where was the alley if I'm on Queen Street I could be like I went down this alley this yeah, little yeah, yeah. thing and the school was I don't know the alley's not there no. anymore or something there's like all this stuff is not there it's yeah. like really weird when it's weird when things change weird it's disorienting um, yeah. did you wait, like what was it about George Brown that drew you in was it just oh, wait, the... Yeah. What okay, I forgot to say. Yes, yes, please. We were at 5.30 King um, for our shows, but my class, I just have to say this, 
while you're here yes. and I and mm -hmm. I can brag about this, yes. my class was the the only one with the distinction to be on a different campus every year. Because George Brown there, kept kicking us you out. Went, you probably went to Casaloma? Nope. Nope. Kensington? Kensington. So we had a year in Kensington that I guess used to be the home to like the nursing program oh. and stuff. And then that left mm -hmm. and went to Casaloma. Mm -hmm. And they still had this building, but they were trying to sell it. Um, so it was this strange, like, five or six-story building. And the theater students got the first floor. Mm -hmm. And the dance students were up on the fifth floor. Mm -hmm. Nothing in between. Creepy. 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 It was this ghost town building. Creepy. And we had this... Um, this huge cafeteria yeah. with like deep fryers and big industrial sized fridges and stuff. And we'd, we'd keep our lunch in the fridge mm -hmm. there. We, we weren't allowed to use the deep fryer, but like we, we had like all these, like we just shove furniture from everywhere in the building in there. So we had like, everyone had their own couch mm. and stuff. And it was just sure. this really weird freezing cold place. Cause we had no heat in the right. winter. And, um, I had my own room in that school cause I found a door mm -hmm. Like, I found an old abandoned student council office with posters and, and things in it. And then there was a door in it that looked like it just went to closet. And I went up these little stairs. And then this, like, little sort of half room, like a loft, with a bunch of rolled up carpets in it. Okay. So I unrolled the carpets. Of course. And I went into Chinatown and got myself, like, fairy lights. Yeah. There was a plug and little lanterns. And I brought my sleeping bag <laughs> and an alarm clock. And it became, like my nap room, mm -hmm. and then eventually sort of everyone's nap room, except they had to ask me for permission because, mm -hmm. like, everyone knew that's Lisa's room. Okay, yeah, like, yeah. ask her if you can. There were probably people fooling around in there. I went, you know, like, everyone's having sex at sure, Lisa's probably. nap room. Yeah. Um, but uh, eventually, like, I went in there and it was locked one day, and it turned out that security had found my stuff and they thought that there was someone oh, living oh. in there. Yeah, they thought someone had found their way into the building and was living in this little room. And so I went, you know, it's me. I know I shouldn't have been, Like, I wasn't staying over. And, they, yeah. and I never got my sleeping bag. Oh, yeah, no. no. Yeah, George Brown took my sleeping bag. <laughs> and then the third year we were at Casaloma. Yeah. But the, the, we had no heat in mm, either. Casaloma or? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It was a weird basement situation. Yeah. Casaloma, Kensington, yeah. we had no heat because they, they didn't want to pay for heat right. while they were selling the place. And, like, we'd be in... <laughs> Classes wearing parkas. Mm. And like now and then like a door would fly open and they'd be showing a bunch of Japanese businessmen through the building <laughs> like, while we're like rolling down the spine. Yes, yes. And yeah, one day I remember we were wearing parkas and our voice teacher, Susan Stackhouse, yeah. did she teach mm -hmm. She got so frustrated because she's trying to talk to us about our alignment. She's going up to use someone as an example who's wearing like this, you know, puffy parka thing. And she's like, you see how your spine... Who am I kidding? I can't see anything. Ah! <laughs> she stormed out of the room. Yeah. That sounds like almost like for the teachers at night. Like for everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But... And then the third year, um, we were in that weird basement corner yeah. of Casaloma. Yeah. And it had this garage door in it that in the main rehearsal hall that opened up because outside of it was uh, all of this abandoned mm -hmm. construction stuff because that mm -hmm. used to be where they taught students to build skyscrapers right. basically so it had all these like giant girders and big hunks of concrete and stuff out there 
So we would, like, at the beginning of the school year when it was warm, swing the garage door open and go out yeah. there and run lines and climb sure. on dangerous things where, like, now they would never, ever. Like, no. But, um, uh, and there were no walls between mm. any of the class. Like, the, the walls didn't go all the way up to the ceiling. So you could hear each other's <laughs> singing and chanting uh, yeah. and everything. And so, yeah, when it got cold, all of the air cold air coming in from that garage door thing like we were again in parkas right. and we're freezing and Heiner Piller who was the artistic mm-hmm. director came in one day with like a bunch of cardboard and duct tape and foam and stuff and he's in there going oh, this is and he taped the whole yep. thing up like yep. by himself while we're doing a clown <laughs> class or something yeah. oh man I mean the, 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 the warehouse on King Street was its own like mm-hmm drafty thing yeah with the raccoons and the silverfish and the mice like, and the oh, it was everything but it was, it it was disgusting but you know but charming so charming it had a so lot charming. of soul that building like you felt like like it did have ghosts and... I felt like it because of all of the years that that building had been used as a theater school that mm-hmm. you really did feel like the ghosts of of theater past yeah in yeah. a way that in an abandoned building where it's sort of like a ghost town where you can like find a hidden room that nobody knows about <laughs> and make it yours, which sounds like, like an English children's adventure novel, by the way. It sounds like something. That's can you the start, the stairs? That's the start of like uh, the famous five or something. And mm-hmm. you found like a, a, yeah. a room and ended up in Narnia or something, you know? Yeah. But Or like one of those things when we were kids, like all the, you know, movies where someone would get locked in a mall and yes, get to live yeah, in yeah, the yeah. mall. Or... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like that, it's that kind of thing. Um, but I forget where I was going, but like you really felt about like the, the building. history of that, of that building, yeah, you know, the yeah. people who've been through. Even and if you the, believe in like, you know, if it weren't ghosts, but if you believe in energy being left behind, yeah. which I don't know if I do, but, uh, what more intense energy than a bunch of angsty, artistic 20 mm-hmm. year olds mm-hmm. yeah. who are pouring out their hearts and souls and emotional. All, and, yeah, all I'm thinking yeah. is like how many years of, of period study mm. alone would leave that kind of like energy, like a month of intense, like focus on this single period and rehearsing and then an eight to 12 hour performance that leaves yeah. everybody like, what am I doing? Was yours eight to 12 hours? I think ours was about six six hours. Yeah. Six ours hours. was yeah. six and a half and they said it was the shortest in a long I think time. Ours was eight. Yeah. I know that they've gone up to 12. I know. Or like close to it. It's unbelievable. Like talk about something that the teachers have to go through. Imagine yeah. being one of those teachers and having to sit through that whole thing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because like parents or friends and whatever would come and go and... Yeah. Good Lord. I know. But... And then many they know <laughs> how many, how many, you know, vocal masks do people sit mm-hmm. through and things like that, you know? But, and it's all the same sort of thing. But like the, like a eight to 12 hours of like some period... And I mean, it's exhausting for the people on the stage. Yeah. But you're, and I remember they were like, all right, so now we're going to have a party. I'm like, why? <laughs> Let me go why? on. <laughs> so like, Let's get drunk. I'm like, I'm too tired. <laughs> After the marathon? Yeah. yeah. No. Um, what was it about George Brown that made you choose it? Was it just because it was the conservatory? Aspect yeah. Or? Yeah. I mean, I would have been happy with that or NTS. Um, and I didn't get into NTS, mm-hmm. or I might have gone there. Um mm-hmm. But ultimately, I was glad that I stayed in George Brown because mm-hmm. it was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, obviously, NTS grads do fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is that cool thing about going to George Brown and 
when you come out, you already know some people, you've already seen a lot of shows yeah. in that you're going to be auditioning for people who you've seen on stage or yeah. the teachers who've been teaching you in class or sometimes people who, who might be connections. Yeah. Or, I was, or that was really one of the, there were, there were two things that made me choose it. And one was the fact that my teachers were people who were in the industry mm -hmm. and not somebody who like has been like a, a professor for the last 10 years. Yeah. Or whatever not some tenured person. Yeah. 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 Um, and also it was the, some, some was like, you know, it's the only, only school that has a business of acting course. That actually factored into your thinking yeah. when you were yeah. going into the really school. Did. Were you like eighteen or? I was like nineteen. But somebody says like it's the only school that will teach you what to do when you get out. Huh. And you know, having spoken to people, I don't know if other schools are doing it. Certainly, I a lot of so. universities, when you finish, they're like, "Well, we've taught you how to act. Good luck. Bye bye." Like, well, what about headshots? You'll figure it out. Wow. There's a lot of schools don't. I think a lot of the conservatory schools are thinking about about that. But I'm like, I still hear from people who went to university quite recently who were like, yeah, graduate. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I took that for granted in a way. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. And no, that was definitely something. It was those two things that, that factored into it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the the former about having hmm. teachers that are in the business. Yeah was a big one. But again, you know, when I was 18 and going into school, I don't know how much of that I really understood or mm. appreciated. I knew vaguely that it was a more practical program mm -hmm. and that you'd be focused on, you know, acting yeah. and to a lesser extent singing and dancing, but doing theater yeah. all the time and doing shows. So that was, that was the main thing. And I think I yeah. found out the nuts and bolts of it once I was there. I mean, I certainly was like, when I, uh, like I got into Ryerson and George Brown, I was looking mm -hmm. at the requirements. I was like, wait, I'm going to have to like take academic shit too. And I was like, I, I think I was like so focused on being an actor that I was, mm -hmm. I just was the idea of, of having to take an English class or like yeah. a psychology class. I was like, I just want to act. Like everything People else seemed like that. a waste of time. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. You know, I don't know how smart that was, but you know, well, yeah, I think, you know, you know, the, the intense nature of the program certainly um, engendered a lot of, like, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly, there's a lot of focus that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of terror. I don't know about, about <laughs> you, but a lot of my time at George Brown was spent being afraid that I was going to be cut. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I often still have that sort of thing where I'm like, I think we need to do away with that. Hmm. Like, they're like, we need to cut down the class because we only want to keep people who we think are going to make it. And I'm kind of like, who are you say? And also, when you're afraid, that's not a great way to, to be creative. Well, and also just let in fewer people in the first place. Yes, exactly. Because, I, I mean, I think it all has to do with the funding model where yes, if yeah. they let in a lot of people at the beginning, they'll get money for all those people. Yes, yeah. And they know damn well at the beginning that they're going to cut a whole bunch of yeah. them. Um, if they kept it smaller in the beginning, people wouldn't just be living in terror, which we all were. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. your class gets cut down to a third of the size right away. Yeah, or, I think, or, I think it, it, the first semester is, is one thing. And then after Christmas, when you, when you, like, you're at the Christmas party and you're like, who's cut? What? Oh, like, who, what? They didn't yeah. even get to say goodbye. Yeah, and, no, like, sitting like, out in the hallway for people's meetings. Yeah. And you're waiting to go. Out? Yeah. Yeah. Just looking absolutely devastated yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. slightly relieved or confused yeah. or whatever you know i came out of mind mostly confused because i i always started out being cut 
and like <laughs> clawed my way back. Yeah, yeah. In somehow. But it was like after the first time, we just like every day was like, I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing, <sighs> whatever, you know. And I actually think that that sort of like teaches you not to rock the boat in hmm. a lot of situations. Yeah. And you're actually yeah. afraid to take risks because oh, yeah. then you might fuck up and yeah, then get kicked out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I just spent a lot of theater school stressed out and mm. terrified. And, you know, it, were you it, like 19 when you went? Were you? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was 18 yeah. for like two weeks and yeah. then, and then, um, so yeah, I was, I was one of the young ones. Like we had yeah. a 17 year old when we started and then a few around my age and yeah. then, and then a couple of people who'd already been to university mm-hmm. and were older and, um, but yeah, the whole thing. I mean, what, what year did you graduate? 89, no. I went in 89. I think it was like 90, 92, 93. Okay, yeah, and I got out in 97. So, like, we were there in the sort of, which I think lasted a long time, for the the period that was very much tear them down, rip them apart, build them back up, you know. So you spend three years with everyone telling you that you're shit and you're no good and you're not going to make it, and you know, so it's... But that whole, like, the whole, like, idea of, like, build them down, like, tear them down, build them back up, I always sort of felt like... They always missed that last half. There was a really good period <laughs> down, and it was always like, and okay, it's too late to bridge back up. Good luck yeah. there, you know? And then you kind of think, okay, well, some people manage to build themselves back up, and maybe they're the ones yeah. that are meant to make it because they're starting. But know. it's like, oh, God, did you really need to I don't know. How many, everyone? how many people in your class do you know how many people are still in the business? Uh, Maybe a third. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of yeah, people have moved on to other stuff. Me, but we graduated like 15 yeah. people. I mean, and some of the people who quit didn't yeah. quit because well, they, they were destroyed. That, they just like, eventually went, oh, you know what? I need a more steady income think, or things I mean, happened. Certainly, or it's certainly yeah. definitely like, um, and like I do know people who, who graduated and were like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but Like right away. <clears throat> almost right away. Like mm-hmm. maybe do a year of like trying it and being like, I don't want to do this. Sure. Because they didn't have it in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a lot of people who, you know, they do it a few years and they start to get close to 30 and they're like, I think I would like groceries yeah yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. Like, I think I would like things sure you know which fair enough like, drop out yeah absolutely and I always think like because I know sometimes when people quit they'll feel sheepish about it mm. they'll feel like people are going to judge them or yeah. think that they gave up and I always think like more power to you man like if you're happy doing something else yeah and if this was stressful and or it wasn't doing it for you making yeah. you happy then well you shouldn't be ashamed for leaving something that isn't making you happy anymore yeah you know? I mean yeah. sometimes I'm sad when I see friends leaving and I know it's just purely financial cause, yeah because you go fuck you're so good and you still too. get joy from it yeah I still get that I still yeah. totally understand it but sometimes I think like what if next year it, it's always sad <laughs> that when somebody loves it but has to leave it for something like finances yeah because you would think you think to yourself like if only we had some way of like some better way of financing this stuff if yeah only there was a something that could be done that like could help this person sure at it and but, like i was i was talking to someone the other day who you know who doesn't work in theater uh-huh. but like it was at my cousin's wedding just chatting with another scarborough person yeah. and um you know he he found out i was an actor and and we were kind of chatting about, you know, how disappointingly white my job sector is. Yeah. You know, and that, like, I grew up in Scarborough. Yeah. Where I was so happy to have grown up with such diversity mm-hmm. and, like, you know, knowing, having 
buddies who were all different races and religions yeah. and stuff. And then like going into acting, which you think, oh, I'm in this creative field. Surely it will be really diverse and cutting edge. And it's like so white. Yeah. And he reminded me, it made me feel a bit better about mm-hmm. theater in a way that like, no, it's not just that theater is racist and not giving people opportunities, but part of it is that like, cause he was, he's a Brown guy and he was saying like, I'm a, my parents are immigrants who work in a factory. Like, a creative field mm. was not an option for me. Yeah. I needed to succeed financially. Like, mm-hmm. I could not take that risk. So there yeah. is some of that, like, oh, I'm a white sure. middle-class kid who could go yeah. into the arts and try things out. Yeah. And how the hell did I get on this? Oh, just talking about, like, people needing groceries and stuff. But, like, you do think, like, oh, the fact that this... You know, that we don't have a basic working income mm-hmm. or, you know, that we don't... Is in Ireland where artists don't pay taxes? Yeah. Things like that that yeah. can help people become artists who aren't necessarily just the upper middle yeah. class or middle class people. Oh, absolutely. It's like this whole argument in Britain right now that, like, they're running out of actors without posh accents because, like, now the only people who can afford to go into the arts are, like, you know, the public school yeah. uh, upper yeah. class kids. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 a lot. I mean, we have this thing here where it's where the arts are elite. The arts are not for everybody, right? Mm. It's like we have this whole idea, and we've had some like governments that think, oh, theater, dance, opera, the arts—that's all just for the rich people. Mm. Um, and you know, you still find people who are like, oh, I can't afford to go to theater, and I'm like, I can name three theaters right now that you can afford to go to right now. Yeah, you know. Um, but the people don't know that. No, like, of course not. When I was have... in theater school and I saw the words P W Y C on uh-huh. a poster, and like once I'd seen it ten times, yeah. I had to ask someone, and it's like, oh, you mean I could have been? You could have been seeing, seeing all shows for five dollars. I just all had this along? conversation with Sue Edworthy, and she was like, "We have, you have all these acronyms that nobody yeah. understands, <laughs> yeah. like P W Y C. You know what it means, but we use it on all of our posters and all of our advertisements." Yeah. But Somebody on the street over there. What does PWIC mean? And they'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. And they don't know that they could afford to go see the show. They might notice if there's a big thing that says like 25 under 25 for the opera or something, but you know, I don't know. Maybe we need to do a better job at that. Yeah. It's really too bad. Yeah. You know, we're we're in the weeds now, but I love that. I love these kinds of conversations. (laughs) Um, When you got out of theater school, um, just out of curiosity, how long did it take before you started uh, working professionally? Did you did you have to wait tables for a while? Did you, yeah, I uh, yeah. I did I um, did some restaurant stuff like mm-hmm. hosting, bartending, whatever. And even when I did start working, was you know would do catering mm-hmm. gigs in between or yeah. couriering and all kind of things. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess I got out and did a. Uh, Fringe show right away, which was a really successful one, which was great. And then, um, and I went away to work with Odyssey Theater in mm-hmm. Ottawa, mm-hmm. which I just worked with this past summer. So I went back to the nice. place that had been my first gig 20 nice. years later. Oh, that's so awesome! Yeah, that's so awesome. It was surreal. I kept like, you know, when we went to the site for the first time, it's a park, mm. and I said, Well, they've moved the stage. I mean, it's in the same spot, but they've rotated it, right? And mm-hmm. everyone's telling me, no, no, not at all. And like, well, something, oh, well, this, 
it, like, well, the washroom was over. Did they move the washroom then? <laughs> no, no, exactly. And like my memory it's had just the, sort of like twisted things, things thirty your mind degrees. Does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was you remember what your friend's show was? It was called Shooter, and it was by Dennis McGrath, mm-hmm. a lovely, dear, awesome writer who who worked in TV for a long time, passed away mm-hmm. last year. Um, he was one of the creators of uh, Flashpoint and mm-hmm. X yeah. Company. Uh, and directed by, uh, our friend Colin and starring Mark Ellis, who mm-hmm. was another Flashpoint mm-hmm. X company folk. So like those guys all yeah. started out together nice. and like created the nice. show. And, uh, yeah. So I, and, and the other two actors, uh, were, there was one in their forties and a woman who was about 80. Mm-hmm. Which was super cool, like particularly cool working with her because you've just come out of school where like a twenty-three-year-old is playing somebody who's yeah. like sixty, right? Yeah, yeah, like hi, grandma, and there's twenty-three-year-old yeah. yes. grandma with her, her, terrible her terrible powdered hair yes. and her yeah, bad yeah, yeah. age makeup. Yeah. So just getting out and right away getting to work with like people of different ages and particularly yeah. this older woman was like really enriching Mm -hmm. and then like working with these three guys the the director and writer and and lead actor producer who were great buddies and had a lot of respect for each other but Mm. could really fight it out yeah and uh at first i was a bit shocked like oh my god like don't don't tell the writer to change a thing which i i still think Mm -hmm. to some extent like try the thing first before you ask for a rewrite Mm. like Come on, guys. But they had this relationship that could be contentious but could work, and it was really, you know, sparky and fun and and exciting being in that room and, and you know, being There's thrown obviously a lot right of trust in. there, though. Yeah. Like, even though they're fighting it out, if he says, change the thing, and the writer's like, I'm not going to change the thing, and then they fight it out <laughs> and they change the thing, it's because ultimately... They, they won because he knew that yeah. they were right. Yeah. 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 I mean, now I can see how it works. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, when you get out and and <laughs> when you're young and you, you've been trained like, uh, you know, the levels of gods. Yes. And like, you can't change the yeah, text. You can't play right as God. And then, God, the yeah. you know, the director is yeah. the God's right hand man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because I was always, for me, it was always like, if there's only one God in the rehearsal hall, that is the stage manager. Ah. But I had a number you of stage what? managers who were like. Listen, let's remember, I'm God. When I tell you to do something, you will do it. And we all, and everybody was just like, ultimately like, yes, yes. Cool. Okay. I'll say yeah. this about George Brown, going back to that. That was another thing I, you know, if anyone had asked me going in, yeah. whether I valued their approach to stage managers, I would have had no idea what it was. Yeah. But coming out, that was, to me, one of the best parts of that education was that we always worked with professional stage managers. Yes, 100%. And... You know, in another program where maybe, like, there are stage managers in training, too, and they mm. stage manage your show, and you're all learning together. Yeah. Well, that's nice, but first of all, we knew our shows would be run really damn yes. well by yeah. a good stage manager, but also we were being taught etiquette. Yes. And sometimes from other people saying, like, okay, so you guys are starting with stage mm. manager now, and they are God, yeah. and, you know, treat them with respect and remember that they're in charge now that mm. I'm leaving as the director. Yeah. But also things like... You know, Susan Jennings, the stage manager who worked with us in George Brown, saying, yeah. when I say going to black, yes. say thank you. Yes. <laughs> when I tell you anything, say thank that you so is... I know you hurt. And just yeah. like little things like that. So when you go and do your first first pro gig, yeah. you just, you know. It's automatic. Yeah. Right? By the time you get out, it's automatic. 
this is your 30, thank you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But then I've worked with people who obviously haven't had that, and they get the 30, and I say thank you, and they don't say anything. And you're like, you just do this quick, like, turn, you're like, who taught you, you know? <laughs> just, I feel like... Old Were you like, born hey, in a barn? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Is there anything, in particular, just running back to uh, Space Opera Zero... I mean, there's there's a lot that you're that you're doing that's new. There's some magic in the show. There's puppets in the show. You're singing, which you've done before, but is also like as we've discussed, is a little bit of a thing. And I'm probably hardly singing. It's not even <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> need to be much. Can we acknowledge it doesn't even need to be much? If somebody's like, and this is the scene where you're going to sing "Row, Row, Row Your Boat," I'll be like, yeah, do that. <laughs> So I'll have to ask, you know. Do I have to breathe yeah. and sing? Because I don't <laughs> seem to be succeeding. Yes. Um, aside from all of those, is there anything in particular that, that is kind of frightening for you about the show? Jeez. Aside from all that, <laughs> does there need I mean, to be anything else? I guess else? no, there doesn't need to be an aside. But if we can pick one thing, what is it? What's something that scares you the most? God. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm actually I will be mm-hmm. when we start rehearsal scared. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm just really super excited. I think that the first first day of school as a lot of people call it is yeah. always kind of scary. Yeah. Like you're going to meet a lot of people, you're going to read the script for the first time, you're going to sit down and they're going to see you and there's always sort of like that I I'm always like did they make the right choice? When I sit down and like, "Oh, we thought you were someone else." <laughs> I'm always scared of like third day of school. Mm. Because first day of school, you go in and yeah. someone's brought muffins. Yes. And you friendly, say yeah. hello to everyone and, hey, we're going to put on a show. Yeah. Isn't this nice? And then you sit around and you get a design presentation mm-hmm. and you look at all the toys. And then you sit down and you read the play and everyone laughs. And isn't it fabulous? And then the next day, like, you sit and you you tear the play apart around the table and yeah. you argue and you read. Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe day three... It's like, okay, let's shove the tables aside and get on our feet. And I'm like, I don't know how to walk. What do yes. human yeah, beings yeah. do with yes. their hands? <laughs> I'll hold this script, then yes. I won't feel as awkward. Yeah, and, yeah. and you're like, how have I ever done this before? What am I doing here? I don't know yeah. how to walk. I don't know how to talk. Mm. Like, And you're feeling like sort of like this, like this empty vessel, like this, this, disembodied creature like <laughs> like you're an alien who's gone into someone's body and yeah. doesn't quite know how to make it move yet because you're like I I have to walk around and do something as this character but I don't know who they are it yet really I don't use the most awkward stage because all you can really do is like do all the things that Hamlet says not to do is hold your script and saw the air <laughs> saw the head. air thus I do there's a lot of there's a lot of just wild gesticulating because you haven't actually figured anything out yet <laughs> and you feel like am I did I ever know how to do this yeah 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 like, please just tell me where to go and I'll put me in a chair. I feel less awkward about that as time goes on, yeah. knock on wood. But, yeah. I think it doesn't matter how long it's been. There's always some kind of fright yeah. going into the beginning of a new show. I think I feel a li- little bit better now that I've talked to enough people that I know everyone feels that way. Mm-hmm. And when you talk yeah. to actors who've been... Should that make me feel better or worse? Yeah. Maybe it should make me feel worse. It's like, oh God, when I'm 60, I'll still feel like I don't know what the hell I'm you doing. You know what? You know what though? If you didn't, none of it would matter. Mm. And then why would you still be doing it? If you're 60 and you don't feel scared when you're going oh. into the first day of rehearsal, that, by that time it means that none of it matters to you anymore. Yeah. 
And you're just like, oh, I'll just pull out character 3B. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, I'll do the thing I do in every show. You'd be like, oh, the audience always likes it when I make this face. And make that face and I, it's like, oh, you made this face. Oh, I wish your listeners could see that face that know, you just made. That was, yeah, well, that's, that's a good face. Just, you know, it's the beauty of, a, of, a, of an audio medium is I can imagine that face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. This has been a Homebody Productions production.